Welcome to the Talking Transformation podcast. I'm your podcast host, Peter Ahmad, recording from Cape Town, South Africa, since June 2019. The Talking Transformation podcast provides an open and accessible platform for built environment professionals and interest groups to share their reflections and aspirations relating to the transformation of places and spaces in South Africa. It's intended to be a celebration of the individuals and community groups who are supporting formal and informal processes that are addressing the challenges of South Africa's history and shaping the future of our neighbourhoods and cities. Welcome to this latest episode of the Talking Transformation podcast, recorded on World Town Planning Day, the 8th of November 2023. It's a great way to celebrate with this latest episode, and we pick up on a familiar theme of great interest to the podcast and to the listeners, specifically the issue of state-owned land, in this instance Transnet, and the opportunity to build and renew our existing cities. My guest is the distinguished academic, Professor Ivan Turok, and I was able to catch up with Ivan earlier this week prior to his departure from South Africa for a symposium in Europe. Some of you may well have been aware of his op-ed that was published last week. It was titled, Transnet Should Sell Its Surplus Land to Unlock Housing and Jobs, and it was an article that was widely circulated on social media. Ivan wrote that such a move could release funds to invest in operational improvements and unlock strategic sites across our cities for further development. He outlined the opportunities that are available, not just to Transnet, but other state-owned entities and departments, to leverage funding aspects of our state-owned entities by using that land and the property portfolio that are managed in a way that is more sustainable, not only for the agencies, but also for the cities where they are operating from. So it's about thinking on the one hand about a bigger picture addressing the financial sustainability for those organizations, particularly those that are in distress, and maximizing the opportunities of using strategic state-owned land portions that are not core assets. In other words, those land portions that are not material to the daily operations of those entities. In effect, it's talking about a win-win for the agencies and the cities, and in turn, the communities that are potential beneficiaries from the approach. You'll know from previous episodes that we've talked about strategic portions of land, specifically around Cape Town, the Wingfields, Aesterplatt and Youngsfield. And there's little new in the argument to release state-owned land. There's many advocacy groups that have been advocating for this for many years, and we've talked to a good number of them on this podcast. However, the fiscal envelope to support service delivery across our public sector has significantly diminished and more demands, more cash handouts are being made. Surely this is an appropriate moment to shift the momentum from the dialogue and the advocacy to one of urgency and implementation from those same departments and agencies. To date, we never seem to be able to make progress on the argument or see actions or responses from those who ultimately have the decision-making powers in relation to these major decisions. So I ask Ivan to build up his argument, the framework from his op-ed article, and think about the dual benefits, both financial and in city building terms. I think it's a really important subject that remains central to much of our thinking on a day like today in particular, on World Town Planning Day. What does it mean when we are unable to leverage and maximize the benefit of state assets in great locations and how does that become more urgent 
and more pressing when those same agencies are requesting financial handouts because of the lack of financial discipline or management within those structures. What will it take to see that momentum shift? I think these are really important questions that we should be asking and engaging on if we are to see a material change in city building that is inward focused and maximizing available infrastructure networks that exist both social, infrastructure and the like. Aren't these the golden opportunities we should be celebrating and aspiring to in stark contrast to the frequently vaunted smart cities on the dislocated fringes of our existing urban centres? Again, these are important questions on a day like today. I greatly appreciate the input from Professor Turok. His insights I think you'll find both interesting and compelling. I do hope that somebody somewhere in the decision-making corridors of our national departments and entities start to think about this in a more urgent fashion. And hopefully we can start to see some movement in relation to some of these opportunities across the country. As always, we hope you enjoy the episode. So it's just gone 11 o'clock on Monday, the 6th of November, and it's a great pleasure to welcome Professor Ivan Turok, a few kilometres south here in Cape Town, but down in Nordhook. Ivan, welcome. An absolute pleasure to have you with us today. How have you been keeping? Thanks, Pete. I'm very well. Thanks. Thanks for the invitation. Nice to be with you. Really appreciate your time. I know you're busy. I know you're packing for another uh, overseas uh, excursion tomorrow. This last week, you were kind enough to share with me uh, an op-ed that you had written, and that was published quite widely, distributed across the professional world. Talking about Transnet, the opportunity to think about state-owned land and particularly Transnet, I think they've been one of the state-owned entities that's been in the news for a whole, whole variety of reasons. But amongst the headline has been this question of the financial sustainability of Transnet, what money it needs. And your article was really saying, look, Transnet should be thinking about selling its surplus land to not only fund their operations and their needs, but to unlock housing and jobs. And that's what I've asked you to come along today to talk about. So what was it that really led you to write that op-ed and the opportunity that came your way? I, I've been following Transnet's operations for about three or four years because I have a broader concern that our state-owned enterprises are not doing all they can to support the economy of our cities. They've got their own agendas. Some of them are very self-contained and inward-looking. And a company like Transnet has a long history of giving priority to the mineral energy complex in South Africa basically extracting and exporting minerals, digging and shipping our minerals. And that's the priority now for the recovery of Transnet as well, to get the corridors moving properly and efficiently after the legacy of state capture and so on. So my underlying concern is that the economy as a whole needs to diversify away from the minerals energy complex We've got to industrialize and we've got to develop stronger service industries. And people have been saying this for decades, but this topic is a real symptom of the, of the problem of state entities that are narrowly focused on their own agenda and undermining actually the performance of our cities. And the particular example that you're mentioning was of land. So Transnet sits on quite a lot of public land. It's not the only public entity that does that, but it sterilizes land that should be used for a range of other purposes, commercial, industrial, and residential purposes. 
Many of these sites are really well located because they're linked to railway stations, they're linked to ports. They bought these sites for a reason, right? But they don't have the skills, they don't have the interest, they don't have the uh, wherewithal, the resources now to develop these sites. And so, as I say, they're sterilizing really important strategic land parcels in our cities. And at the same time, they're asking for huge multi-billion rand payouts, if you like, from the state treasury to cover costs. When you, I think what you're saying is, on the one hand, it's a situation whereby you can leverage city building opportunities in terms of those well-located pieces of land, but at the same time, actually lessening the blow to what we already know is a massively stretched fiscal envelope. <laughs> the cupboard is bare. We know we've been extremely damaged over the last decade and more. So it's a dual purpose. It's a dual opportunity. And I guess many would talk about this as a potential win-win, win for the cities and communities, as well as a win for the financial situation. Is that the way that you were describing it in your article, Ivan? That's right. That that's, that summarizes it very well. That they say a crisis is an opportunity to do things differently. I'm sort of building on that by saying that the financial crisis that Transnet faces is an opportunity to get them to think more broadly. So the immediate commercial imperative is to raise money. So they must sell the sites for money. But the reason for doing that is not just to maximize revenues, it's actually going to serve a very valuable broader purpose in helping to develop housing on well-located sites in our cities, a mixture of commercial and affordable housing. It is a real win-win for the Treasury and it's an opportunity to see the bigger picture because of this very difficult situation that Transnet finds itself in and indeed that the Treasury is facing. And nobody's talked about this. It's amazing. Nobody is talking about a potential solution. Basically, Treasury said, no, we're not going to give you any more money. That's what happened last week because of the budget constraints. And so Transnet is, is saying, well, but what do we do? <laughs> we're paralyzed. If Treasury are not going to bail us out, we've no alternative solution. And I'm saying this is part of the solution. It's not the full solution, but it could help to contribute to that solution. And if it's done cleverly, they could leverage off this asset and ma make the money go further if they're clever about it. And let's be clear, Ivan, you also quote from Transnet's own annual report in relation to its performance as a landlord. So let's say it, if it was exceptional, it was collecting 100% of its rent from across the properties that it owns and manages. I suppose there was an argument to say there there's an efficiency, but the numbers that you quote in the article is that rent collection for the portfolio has declined from 85% in 2022 to 62%. There's a massive inefficiency there. There's a massive under-recovery in relation to that. So it's not like we're sitting here saying this is an exceptionally run property portfolio. There are huge inefficiencies there over and above what we talked about in terms of there's a capital element to try and fund operations uh, that's needed, as well as the city building. We're going to come back to the city building. But again, any observation on this and I'm going to try and throw in a link at the same time, this definition of the core versus non-core assets. What, what do we mean when we talk about this core versus non-core assets that are owned by the different agencies? And you've mentioned it's not just Transnet. It could include public works. It can include the Ministry of Defense, et cetera, et cetera. But let's start with that. What is that? And then let's yeah. talk about the how you manage and the performance of that. Right. So as far as I understand it, the core assets are those required for the 
day-to-day operations of Transnet. There'll be the, the assets around the harbor and the port. There'll be the assets around the railways that they operate. There are also assets around their pipelines. They have oil pipelines and so on that are integral to the functioning of the day-to-day operations. And then the non-core will be the assets that they have acquired and are sitting on because they may be important at some point in the future, like backup port operations. They do have a big site in Cape Town, Kulemburg, which is earmarked, they say, in case the port needs to be expanded at some point in the future and they need warehousing space, right, for the enlarged uh, port operations. So they retain these assets in a kind of environment of uncertainty about their future plans. It's like a a reserve. It's like a, just in case we need these land parcels. And then the key point that you're making about the income generation is that they lease and rent out some of these assets, right? So that they're not totally a waste of resource. They're not getting nothing from them. They lease out empty buildings. They lease out parcels for temporary uses. And this is the point that they say in their own accounts that they're collecting less revenue than they used to, even a year ago, a big decline in the rent collection. So they acknowledge, again, these annual reports are quite revealing. They acknowledge that they're not very good at managing property and that's not their core business. And so that again conforms to my argument that they're not very good at property. They should focus on their core functions which is around the ports and railways, and they should get rid of these other assets that they're not good at managing. It's costing them money, and that's costing society a lot of money and could help them to raise some capital to inject into their operations. It's kind of no-brainer to me, right? When you pull these different strands together, they don't know enough about property. They should sell it off or lease it off to experts who manage property better, raise more money, and enable these properties to be used more productively. They're asking you for 130 billion rand bailout when the entire budget for national government is in the region of about 700 billion. And it seems completely incongruent with that challenge in relation to the national uh, budget. Again, I'm I'm not a, a business analyst, but I mean, in an instance where Transnet literally goes bust, and is put into liquidation, these assets ultimately would get sold off at a completely decreased value in terms of dealing with the uh, liquidation and creditors that are required to cash in on what they're owed. So this idea that you're sort of speculating for the long or the medium to long-term perspective in the hope that prices will rise or that you will be able to deal with your medium and long-term operation, it becomes a moot point if you don't exist anymore. I mean, that's another thing that sort of strikes me. Is it, is it that blunt or am I, am I sort of jumping no, it's, to it's, conclusions? No, it's, it's, it's a quite, quite a, a realistic prospect now. There are definitely people talking about the demise of Transnet because the financial problems are so serious. The level of bailout that they're looking for from the Treasury is so significant that drastic measures are required. I'm not as blunt about these possibilities as I could have been, but certainly we're in an emergency situation, just like we are with with ESCOM and the power crisis. In ESCOM's case, radical measures are being made, including allowing people to generate their own own electricity. 
in Transnet case, we haven't got to the point yet where really radical measures may be implemented to re- rescue and recover Transnet. In the meantime, unless we're thinking about the full portfolio of assets of Transnet, the issues facing cities will be neglected because of the preoccupation with the financial rescue of Transnet. So we need to bring the urban agenda, that's what I'm saying throughout this, more strongly into the decisions being made about this state entity. Not just focus on recovering the corridors from the vandalism and the cable theft, which is impeding the export of coal and platinum and iron ore. We also need to think about our cities. It's not such a burning platform as these, the failure and collapse of these corridors, but it's where the bulk of our people live and where the bulk of our economy is uh, located. And so we need to think strongly about this urban agenda in solving the transnet problem. That's what I'm trying to give more attention to. What happens if we don't fix this city building side of it? We've heard about places like Lanseria, Port Chepstow, that are going to be new cities for IR on steroids. And with these glossy artist impression of what it will look like, seems completely remote from the idea of the needs of South Africans' existing cities, an urban management system that is completely removed from anything that we see that's effective in our existing cities and certainly would presume a degree of privatization, private space and privatized management. Yet these opportunities to unlock within what you've said are strategic, well-located sites in our cities. That's a challenge that we just simply can't get beyond so what happens when we continue to think about building cities on the fringe of our existing footprints, building new, giving up on the old? What happens in that regard in relation to the financial equation in the existing city? Yeah, that's a really, really important point that we should dwell on for a few minutes. Because as urban experts, city experts, we need to make the case more strongly for Uh, reinvesting in our existing cities for consolidating and intensifying the use of existing land in cities, rather than this distraction, I would say, a distraction of thinking about something completely new and bypassing all the opportunities of rehabilitating and strengthening our existing cities. So one thing that is, is, is very obvious is that when you build on the edge of the city or you build in a completely new region, the costs of infrastructure are enormous starting from scratch. You might have produced some nice glossy uh, images of brand new shining cities, but at such a cost that it's just totally unrealistic in South Africa today to contemplate that scenario. So we need to focus on using our existing infrastructure more efficiently, more effectively. And many of these large, vacant, underused strategic sites that are well located in our cities actually have infrastructure available, water pipes, sewerage systems, connections to the public transport system. They have existing infrastructure capacity that we should be making better use of. And of course, these are places where people want to live because they're accessible to existing jobs. When you create a new city in the middle of nowhere, there are no jobs. 
there apart from the construction jobs of building the city. So by and large, people, unless they're well off and have big cars, can drive to the existing jobs, business parks. People prefer to live within existing cities that are actually particularly places that are accessible to employment centers, CBDs, suburban business nodes, and other places where there is a choice of employment, not in the middle of nowhere where there's no existing jobs and jobs will only come 10 years or 20 years down the line. So we really need to shift the debate from this fascination with the new shining city to the uh, strengthening and rehabilitation of our existing cities and invest where we can build upon existing infrastructure, modernize, maintain it, expand the capacity of existing infrastructure. That's much more cost-effective than starting from scratch. So it's not abandoning the idea of being aspirational or being sophisticated or thinking about what smart cities means for South Africa, but it's starting to say that that thinking needs to be inward-looking in relation to where it's happening. It seems a very obvious argument. It seems less obvious when we see the decisions that are being taken. I mean, let, let me ask you straight out, Ivan. We've set up the framework for the argument of why it's a good idea. What do you think is hindering the government from acting? You know, what is the picture that is, I say, broader than just Transnet? This idea, in my mind, that it seems to be a great degree of self-interest and hope of something that's going to happen in the long term within a political administration and thinking that is often very narrow to a two to three, possibly five-year term. What is stopping that from happening, do you think? It's a complicated question, that, and there are you know many different reasons for what goes on. But one of them is that strengthening our existing cities addresses complex politics because you have existing institutions in place, whether it's the municipality, the province, you've got communities on the ground, all of whom want to have a say in what the outcome is. If you're building a new city from scratch in the middle of nowhere, then there's no significant institutions around who are going to complicate matters and delay the decisions. You can just kind of get on with it and start putting concrete on the ground. But that is not a sufficient reason for bypassing your existing cities. The economics of it are so compelling that you need to engage with existing institutions. And in my view, you will get better outcomes, better decisions by engaging with institutions, with their interests, and persuading them of what's required, than by just ignoring them and writing them off. That's no way to move ahead as a society, when every time you have a problem, you basically write off these existing structures, and you try to start from scratch, create something brand new. We have to find ways of managing our existing institutions and not bypassing them and ignoring them. Uh, and if that requires more determination on the part of the president or other key decision makers, well, that's probably a good thing. More leadership, more sense of vision where we want to go, but not, you know, dictatorship. We don't live in a dictatorship. And I think that's healthy to have democracy. That's what democracy is. It's about engaging with the real tensions and dilemmas we face in where we invest and how we invest and not ignoring those processes. 
So if you were able to give sort of advice to the chief financial officers, the treasury, political heads of these entities, to give them comfort around, you know, this is a win-win, and to describe it in terms that is understandable and leads to these decisions and shift in thinking, what would, you, what would your advice be, Ivan, if you had that opportunity to make the pitch? We need to recognize that the existing economy, the existing environment of cities, there is huge opportunity, huge potential, huge untapped potential in these places. There are institutions and communities and individuals who all are aspiring to progress. And cities around the world have demonstrated where they can get their decision-making to work well, that they are resilient, that they are dynamic entities, and they help societies prosper because they contain the creativity, they create, contain the determination and the opportunity to progress over time. The diversity of city economies, the diversity of their societies, is a recipe for progress. And his, the history of civilization shows that cities are critical to progress. So I would say to decision makers, take cities more seriously. Look at the wasted resources of empty land. Look at the way entities like state enterprises are hindering constructive decisions in cities and try to find ways of knocking heads together to find constructive solutions to the challenges we face in our cities. If we were to fast forward, say, five to 10 years and looking for various pronouncements and opportunities that we, we use that phrase advisedly, but no brainers, where do you think around the country are some of those either projects or sites? You've mentioned Coolenborg within the Cape Town space. Where are others, again, based on your assessment, your knowledge, whether it's in around Buffalo City or Kobecha, that you've seen that you think we should, these, these are prime opportunities across the country to start seeing that change, that evidence of not just a shift in the approach of the state entities, but also the opportunity of the city building that comes with that. I think all of our cities have lots of vacant land that have been earmarked for future use or have become redundant because of changes such as railway marshalling yards or former gas works sites. There are all sorts of or former industrial sites, right, that have become derelict and abandoned. And government have lacked the wherewithal to really get a grip and to say that these are opportunities for, for development. It requires a kind of bit of a leap of faith when you see a site that looks uh, abandoned and is full of rubbish to say, actually, this is a tremendous potential asset. If we were to put it into the public domain, make it available for development, open up, create a competition, get some visionary thinkers, designers, architects, developers, bring them together and say, what can we do with this current underused land parcel in order to strengthen our core cities. I think that's the huge uh, opportunity that exists. There is a lot of creative thinking. There's a lot of very capable people around who are sitting on their hands at the moment because these resources are being kept 
unavailable for development. Seems like a good place to take a pause on the conversation there, Ivan. And thanks so much for your insight. Thanks for inspiring, say, the community last week to think about these issues. Hopefully it was being read in, in places where the decision-making and the decision-makers are thinking about these things. And uh, yeah, many thanks. Look forward to to maybe checking in with you in, in future months. But in the meantime, safe travels up to Helsinki. I think you're on your way to tomorrow, right? That's right, yeah. Travel safely and thanks so much for your time. Keep safe. Look forward to catching you when you get back from overseas. Thanks very much, Peter. We hope you enjoyed this content of the Talking Transformation podcast. Please feel free to give us feedback via our Twitter platform. That's at Talking Transfo and the number one. Or alternatively, via our email address, talkingtransformation101 at gmail.com. Thanks and recognition also to Tribal Need for allowing us to use their track, Flags, as our introductory and closeout music on this podcast.